Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming Williams. In this episode, I speak to Jonathan Regenstein of Truist Securities, the first sell side guest to have appeared on the podcast. In our conversation, we discuss the various ways Truist fits into the alternative data ecosystem and the cultural challenges of integrating a technology team into the financial world, among other things. Jonathan will be leading the conversation this Wednesday, the 7th of July at 10 a.m. EST on the Alternative Data Weekly Interactive. Join the group on LinkedIn for more details. Finally, a date for the diary for Londoners. We'll be doing alternative data drinks near Barbican Tube on July the 22nd. Details to follow and or get in touch if you want to know more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so thanks for having me. Honored to be to be one of the first Southside uh, representatives here on the podcast. Um, so yeah, so I guess my origin story, you know, starts about 10 years ago. I was working at uh, JP Morgan uh, here in Atlanta, where I'm from. Um, so obviously, you know, working in markets, portfolio construction, things like that. And then I just kind of slowly got into this, uh, at the time, this not super well-known programming language called R. Um, did a little graduate work in political economy at Emory, which is a very uh, quantitative heavy uh, program. And all of our work was in, was in R. So I just kind of fell in love with the programming language and data science in general. I just want to say, I just want to interject and say, um, having had Jeffrey Ryan on this podcast not too long ago, um, I don't want to be necessarily like other coding languages are available. It's not It's not necessarily that I'm deeply in love with R, that this keeps happening, that I'm getting <laughs> R people. I think Python has a lot going for it. And, um, you know, I'd love to have Python people coming on to, to give their side of it as well. So, uh, so uh, but anyway, as you were saying, you're... Yes. No, and and I do. I agree with you. you it would be good to have some uh, some Pythonistas on as well, because uh, you know I, I always I never really went in for the whole R versus Python thing. To me, it was always R and Python uh, versus Excel. That was always how I looked at the world. So um, I, I consider Pythonistas, Pythonistas my allies in arms in uh, open source programming. <laughs> so, totally good. Totally yeah, good. yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of fell in love with the R programming language and ended up at a, at a company called R Studio, which uh, I guess now we're, we're going to talk more about R, but uh, which is an R-based software company. They build kind of the the you know the most widely ubiquitously used uh, IDE for R coders, uh, and my focus there was on just really kind of driving the adoption of R and all open source tooling in the world of finance. Um, putting out thought pieces and research on best practices, uh, wrote a book called Reproducible Finance with R, which was really heavy on the idea of reproducibility, uh, not just in terms of computers being able to reproduce someone's work, which really just means that your uh, your code runs, but but so other other human beings can also look at your work and reproduce it. Um, yeah. And so, and so, um, again, Jeffrey Ryan was uh, someone, a friend of the podcast, we've had him on before. He had written, I, I believe, a lot of the libraries, a lot of the packages for using R in finance. And so if you were trying to build the adoption of um, R in, in financial services with R Studio, you were probably using a lot of his packages, weren't you? Correct. Yes. I used several of his packages. Uh, I mean, QuantMod 
was definitely a big package of mine that, that I used. Um, I believe he was also part of the development of performance analytics uh, and the XTS package, which is kind of a, a purpose-built time series uh, package. So yes, very heavily relied on on Jeff's packages. You know, I and a lot of our coders owe a great debt to him because uh, op- open source package development is is definitely hard work and uh, not always not always the most glamorous uh, and sometimes sometimes a bit thankless. People, I wouldn't worry. He yeah. he he went to Citadel afterwards, so he got the glamour. He got the glamour as well. It all it all it all it all paid off. At that's the end. right. That's right. Glamour comes from within. <laughs> um, so that was that was really how I got into data science and R and just and just really found a passion for working with data. Uh, and then a little over a year ago, uh, I, I migrated over from our studio to join Truist Securities uh, as part of their equity research team. Uh, they were kind of starting up uh, uh, a new data science and engineering team within equity research. And um, so let me stop you because sure. I wasn't I'm a I'm a I'm a lowly Brit and I wasn't familiar with with the kind of um, with the necessarily all the all the regional banks in the United mm-hmm. States. So I'm so I'm not familiar with Truist Securities. Perhaps all American listeners will be. Um, but um, yeah, could you just introduce Truist and, sure. and kind of where it fits into the ecosystem? Absolutely, absolutely. So Truist is actually the result of a merger between two other banks called SunTrust and BB&T. So up until maybe uh, actually, so when I joined the bank, that merger was still kind of in process. So we were officially still called SunTrust Securities as of about. March of last year, uh, and then over the summer we officially became Truist Securities. So you you kind of nailed it. it. It was SunTrust and BB&T, two um, large regional banks coming together to become um, what's now I, th- I think the seventh largest bank in the states. Um, so these wow. two two kind of large regional banks now were one very very large bank. Um, in a, are you, would you still call yourself a regional powerhouse, or have you gone national with with the um, with the merger? Uh, I think a little bit of both. Definitely a regional powerhouse, but now we are starting to go national as well. Um, Which so region? We, uh, the southeast, so the southeastern United States. So, um, so I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which is where SunTrust was headquartered, and BB and T uh, was headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina. So these were two mm. southeastern regional banks uh, that have kind of come together to become a. a a national superpower. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so, um, okay, cool. So this is now the seventh largest bank in the United States mm-hmm. and they have brought you on to, to be a head of data and quantum mental research. And in your about section, you'll say, you say you're building a quantum mental data platform. Um, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. Very good question. So, so my team, uh, like I said, we sit within equity research, and so we we, we kind of have a dual mandate, uh, which is what this platform is meant to underlie. So we we kind of work on the one hand with our our sector analysts um, who are really fundamental experts, and they have years of experience, and they know the tickers that they cover extremely well and extremely deeply. Um, and our job is to kind of bring the world of what I just call modern data science uh, to what they do. And alternative data is a big part of that. So when I kind of think of quantum mental research, 
I kind of think of that blending of fundamental, you know, quantitative and then alternative data also. So we're trying to build, uh, you know, a, a platform where our analysts can, can start to bring all this, those things together. So I think the, the platform, the platform idea is kind of a stand in for, for all of this kind of tech and engineering that, that underlies our attempt to bring data science from, from our computers you know, over to the research that our that our analysts are doing. So you are so your analysts are still kind of doing all the traditional equity research things that they've always that they've always done, all the traditional methods. Yep. Um, and you are laid onto that as a kind of data team to try to complement their work, or are you, um, or is it kind of is it is it more structured in that in that way? And and I don't know, like how mm-hmm. how exactly is the does is the is the new forms laid onto the old forms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I can give you a few different examples, I think, that'll, that'll kind of illustrate h- how we work with, uh, with various yeah. analyst teams. Um, and I can just tell you a little bit about, about our process. It might be different from, from maybe some of the people you've had from the buy side. But we, we kind of have three main, I would say, buckets or universes of alternative data that we work with, um, that we, we try to kind of bring over to that fundamental process. So, you know, the first is kind of vendor sourced data. So we, we, we like a lot of places, you know, we, we buy data from, from data vendors. Um, a really good example of that is we buy kind of app download data, right? So mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are doing this, but I bet that's a really good example. It's one that we, we use quite a bit in our work. Um, so we kind of source that data from, from the vendors um, or in this case from one vendor, and, you know, we do do a little bit of wrangling, a little bit of cleaning, and we have a process for how we kind of store that in, in our database to be alongside other data sources. Um, and then our, our second source of data, I think of as almost like um, proprietary uh, data that we harvest from the Internet, but in kind of a proprietary way. So it's not proprietary data in the sense that we own it. It's data you've you've generated like a, like a data provider in a way, like yeah. you're, you're, you're scraping data directly from the web of, of your own, of your own bat, which is what a lot of hedge funds do as yes. well as buying it in. That yeah. is, that is exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's almost like the, the process is really where the, um, the proprietary bit comes in. And, and one of, one of our team members has just become like a very deep expert in, in scraping, in scraping this data um, and has several, several, you know, scrapes that he's running on, on a regular basis. And we're starting to get, you know, signals before even, before even some of the data vendors are getting them because we're kind of doing it natively. Uh, and so we, and then we take that and we, we want to stage that in the database up next to that, that data we've sourced from the vendors. So we always, we always want to kind of be putting things next to each other, um, which, which we'll get to in a second. And then our third bucket is actually proprietary data that the bank owns. Um, mm-hmm. And right now that the biggest, uh, well, the only bucket of that is our internal credit card data, right? So, so we're truest securities, but we're kind of attached to a much bigger retail bank um, called just, you know, truest bank. And over which the last- is, Which is also Southeast focused. So it'd, it'd be a lot of credit card transactions from the Southeast, would it? Yeah, that, that's definitely the geographic focus. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. so that's something that we need to kind of, you know, deal with and account for when we're when we're trying to extract insights from the data um mm. but you know that's kind of the third bucket you know and then that that requires kind of working with our internal data teams 
to migrate the data over, you know, make sure all the security checks are done, done the way they're supposed to be done, you know, get the wrangling the way, the way we want it to be wrangled as much as we can during that delivery process. Um, but that is kind of truly proprietary data in the sense that, you know, really no, no, nobody else sees it, especially in its raw form besides, besides us. Um, so for someone like me, that's a really exciting situation to, to, to be glancing at data that uh, nobody else has seen it's it's uh, you feel like an archaeologist <laughs> you know you've unearthed something you're like neil armstrong right yes yeah neil that's more exciting than an archaeologist yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> um that's what they were that's apparently what explorers like that is being the first footsteps wherever right. that's why that's why you become an explorer and it's really hard to do these days so, um, so you're yeah like that. it is yeah and it's quite fascinating um so we're we're, we're obviously we spend a lot of time cleaning that data wrangling it um, and then we kind of we kind of are putting it through our you know our modeling pipelines, um, and then a lot of this comes together. So that's just kind of the three universes of data that we're working with, and each one of them is kind of growing and expanding, and then our team is growing and expanding alongside of it. Um, and then there's that there's that kind of technology layer on top. Um, so we're 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 big fans of um, I don't know if you're familiar with Snowflake. Uh, the database yes. system, yeah, but we so we use uh, Snowflake for our kind of storage, um, and we even start to kind of run some models against Snowflake, um, and then they have a pretty robust marketplace, also um, the Snowflake marketplace. I know a lot of uh, a lot of data providers or database providers have a marketplace, um, but we have found that to be a nice little value add. We can pull in um, macro data, we can pull in some crypto data, we can pull in some COVID data from the marketplace. Uh, start to supplement things with not exactly alternative data, but but just other data sources that we want to look at. Um, nice. How um how big how big is your team at Truist? So right now we are three people. Uh, although we just we have just added a uh, uh, an intern for the summer, so we, we're we're a team of four for the summer. Um, so we're we're a lean and mean team. Every, every, exactly everything you just said. I was expecting a team of like 50 or a hundred. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you're, so you've, you're, you've got a lot, you're busy. <laughs> We're busy. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, just, so a lot of the, and it depends, I guess what you mean by, uh, so our team is, you know, just the four of us, but then that credit card data that is coming from our internal source. I mean, there's probably, there's probably, you know, 10 people working on that are not technically on our team but they're mm. they're doing the work on it right so there's a lot of there's a lot of collaboration that goes on with other teams which i i think is something that is really important when thinking about data science and alternative data um you know i and i, I think we could even extend that out to data vendors if we wanted to because we obviously aren't collaborating with the the data scientists on the vendors. Um, we, we don't really we don't really have that much contact with them. But in some sense, we're we're like passively collaborating with them because they're gathering the data, wrangling it, putting it into shape, and then they're delivering it to us. Um, sure. So there's a lot of sure. different a lot of different hands on keyboards uh, affecting this data. Um, um, another another quick question mm -hmm. is: Did you did it did it start with you this team or or uh, so in May twenty twenty or or did it exist before? It did not. It existed before. So so it, I think it had been in the works for about a year before I arrived here, um, okay. possibly a little bit longer than that. And okay. uh, so and and the the process of kind of migrating over the, the 
you know, the credit card data that that's been in the works for a while. Um, so yeah, so I, I really came in, I guess, for, uh, for the final push when we could really start launching, you know, research from this platform, um, and, and start digging in with, with, with R and, uh, various, uh, software technologies, um, to start extracting this data. So that, that's just kind of laying the, laying the foundation. <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, absolutely. And so that's the, that's the, um, the kind of what's well, the data really it's, it's right. talking about where the data is coming from and who's working on it. Yep. Um, what are you doing with it? What's that's the next step, right? The, so the next step, uh, which I think was your original question was, okay, how does this data find its way into our research? And it, it, that happens in a variety of ways. And I would say there's, there's two main, there's two main ways that this data, uh, be, becomes research that we send out to our clients and, and hopefully we're helping our clients, you know, make better or differentiated uh, investment decisions with this data. So so the first path is to kind of supplement that fundamental analysis that our analysts are doing. Um, so you're, you're, they're, uh, layered on top of this is, is, of course, the we start to work with the data. Um, we start to look for, for signals in the data. But then there's a pretty heavy piece of just talking with our, uh, you know, our, our teammates who are fundamental analysts and trying to find out, well, what should we be looking for? What's the best way we could use this data? Um, and it's it's really, really fascinating. This has probably been my biggest piece of learning is the value of talking to the to our fundamental analysts who are really experts in these fields um, and helping zero in on what in the data would be would be interesting. You know, they'll they can they can kind of tell you, well, here are the signals that the mark that moves market. You know, not just what's interesting, um, and mm. it's not always necessarily what's intuitive. Um, sometimes it is, but, so, but sometimes it's 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 not. Are you the are you the A team in that the analysts, the the fundamental analysts, will have been? You know, they ha they have various processes, they have various techniques that they use, and and they get as much data as they can, and they're they're doing all these things. But if there's something that they'd love to know, and they just can't figure out how to get hold of it. Do they call you and then maybe you can get it? Is that is that the relationship? Or are you putting things in front of them which they weren't expecting? Or or is it um a kind of constant back and forth? Yeah, I would say it's more the, you know, option three there, the constant back and forth. Uh and that tends to be the most productive way. You know, the 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 more the dialogue, the more we're we're discussing different ideas, the better. Um, though the first scenario you, you laid out where sometimes there's just there's just data, especially on the, the, the data that we're scraping, um, you know, that's sometimes is just data that only we can, only we can get. So, so that would, that's an example of, well, there's a, there's an interesting data set out there, you know, maybe, maybe there's a company, you know, putting prices up on, on their website and we just want to get a sense for how they're changing. Um, you know, we might go out and, and, and scrape those, but for the most part, I would say the, the the back and forth is where the magic happens, um, okay. and that's especially valuable for us. You know, we the the absolute the curse for us, the worst possible thing, is to go do a a cool, interesting data science project that doesn't actually end up having the the value to our clients or our analysts that we thought it would. So that that's not what we want to be doing. But it's very yeah. tempting. You can be lured in that direction by the. Uh, by the, the by the data science by the data by, science by, the, by the challenge of the of the data science yeah, you need to do exactly uh, um 
And from a client perspective then, so the, so Truist has, I mean, okay. So first of all, um, clients are, um, traditional, traditionally kind of mutual funds or hedge funds or who's, who's, who's buying it. Bucket are our clients as, you know, large, large funds and asset managers, uh, of all stripes. Um, you know, some of them are traditional, some of them are moving into the, to the quant space. And it kind of runs the gamut of size. I mean, some of the largest funds in the world, you know, some some of the smaller funds. Um, but yeah, really just the whole universe of, I would say, institutional asset managers and investment funds. Okay. Yeah. And do they receive a differentiated product in, if if it's got things from your team in it? Or, or is it kind of seamlessly all part of, wow, Truist has got really good at this stuff? Or is it, <laughs> or is it um, you know... Is there a kind of alternative data branding to it or is it, um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a great question. So at the moment, uh, when, when we're kind of collaborating with analysts, it really just kind of gets seamlessly integrated in, into their research, you know, and, and we generally the research will be flagged as, well, this kind of came from the data science team so that, so that people just kind of know where the, where the signals are coming from, uh, especially mm-hmm. when it's, especially when it's something like our scraped data or our proprietary credit card data. Uh, so I think actually just this morning, one of our teams put out a note um, that, that made pretty heavy use of our internal credit card data uh, to, to, to track you know, consumer. You can think of credit card data as almost like a, a signal of just consumer behavior in different ways. You know, what are people starting to spend more money on as the economy reopens? What are they spending less money on? Um, so we just, I, one of our teams just put out a note this morning that 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 really, you know, um, I don't, I don't want to say relied on our credit card data, but it was it was definitely one of the important sources for for seeing how consumers are, are starting to behave, uh, especially as they start to travel more and move around more. So, so that was an example, I would say, if, yeah, it's, it's definitely differentiated research and it's really relying on, you know, you know, one piece of the research is relying on that internal data that, that we've been able to kind of source and find a signal in. Um, then there's another kind of research track, which is, which is just pure data science research, right? It's not, it's not really attached to a particular ticker. It's not part of a, it's not really going out as part of a, a report um, that another analyst is putting out. And that's where it's it's really just data science research, and it stays at the at the sector level or even at the macro level, um, and and that really relies much more at this point on our on our credit card data. You know, we're just looking for different trends. We're 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 tracking we're tracking if certain sectors are becoming more popular or less popular. Um, you know, we're we we use a um, there's a new R package new as of maybe the last six months that that is really efficient for running uh, machine learning models. And you can even incorporate um, the entire suite of auto machine learning from H2O with this package called, called Model Time. Um, so we, we, we use that pretty significantly to generate, to generate forecasts just based on our credit card data. Um, and we kind of, we do some time staggering where we'll, where we'll run a forecast as of you know, January 1st, February 1st, March 1st, April 1st. So we keep updating it and see how the expectations of our forecasts have changed as, as new data is coming in. So 
Mm-hmm. It's almost like a modified. It's like if you go back in time, what would your forecast have been? So how have our expectations changed? Um, that, that's been kind of very fascinating to see as especially this year as the economy's opened up. So that's a good, way of, to, a good way to keep you honest in a way, like keep you um, to train you. You know, this is where we, we could have been better if we had known uh, or if we'd thought about X, then we can say so we're going to be better forecasters in the future. Is that what it's for? Uh, it's it's for several different things. So, so yeah, one, I mean, it will show, it will definitely expose where your previous forecasts were wrong. Um, <laughs> and so it is nice for that. And uh, as you can imagine, someone who wrote a book called Reproducible Finance with R, you know, I, I, I and our team's philosophy is to be very transparent about. You plugged your book twice, Jonathan. This is this is getting desperate. Uh, how much how much time do we have left? I bet I can fit in uh, a few more. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is. I mean, it, it, it's nice for that reason. It, it is kind of a, a, a check on previous forecasts, um, but it it also is is I we think giving us a nice signal for how new data. Uh, how new data is, is changing our view of the world. Uh, and that, that's something that's especially this year, um, you know, we, we, we thought it was important to incorporate because uh, the, the, the change in behavior from people, at least this year f- from, you know, the, the, the CDC, at least here in the States, though, they, they can come out in one day and say, okay, uh, everything's open and, all of a sudden, everyone's going to change their behavior. So it, things are changing so fast. Um, that was that was really the original motivation, I think, behind uh, behind doing that. But that all gets kind of published uh, in in like a data science research stream, and it's it's much less directional, I would say, than than the the, the data science that gets incorporated into our, our analyst research. It's more kind of broad trends that we're seeing in the world. Um, okay. And then, of course, the, the the gold standard. What we're really driving towards is taking those three universes and starting to put them together to extract better signals by by using all three at the same time. Um, and that's th- that's what we're that's kind of our summer project for right now. Is taking those nice. three universes and, and and seeing how they play together. Very nice. Where do you where do you see yourself in the cell side universe? Um, in terms of, do you see do you feel that you guys are, are being Pioneers, your your seventh largest in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think you're, you know, par for the course? Do you think you're ahead of the curve? How do you how do you see your competition at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we think what we're doing is is very different from from a lot of other shops. Um, for one thing, you know, the, the the kind of the vendor source universe we see is almost being um, table stakes. Right, mm-hmm. you you kind of have to be being smart about where you're sourcing data from different vendors, um, and then the the proprietary scraped data and the credit card data, you know, we see as as big differentiators. Um, not in the sense that other places don't have credit card data, uh, they do, but something we quickly learned was that rarely is the data itself the differentiator; it's what you do with it and how you use it. Um, and this is something that. You know, we, we talk about this a lot on our team and we talk about it with young data scientists. Um, but just that I, the, the notion that the, the creativity and the idea generation around these data sets are, are really the things that most differentiate teams in general. And, and, and we think our team. So we have a, a, 
like I said, we really focus on collaborating with our analysts and hearing their expertise, and it helps us generate uh, really interesting new ideas. Um, so we're, 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 we're like one example of that is we, our, our restaurant analyst, um, who's really, really, you know, a deep expert in the restaurant space. And we were talking about, you know, trends we were seeing on our credit card data. And it's of course here in the Southeast. Um, but it was, we just kind of came up with the idea of why don't we, why don't we start to create almost like a, almost like a fast food restaurant spending index, you know, let's start to combine together. Our, our biggest regional players here in, in the fast food space. Um, and then maybe start to compare those to, to maybe some mom and pop shops. And it was, it, it was just an idea that, that we, we hadn't really thought about it before as a way to start to net out some of the noise that, that can come into these, these time series. Um, but it's going to be a, again, a, a project that we were taking on this summer and, you know, I think one of the things that differentiates us too is that we sit right next, you know, literally and figuratively, we're inside of our equity research team. So we're just we're just constantly getting feedback um, and ideas from our analysts. And these these folks have been in the game a long time. They know their space really really well, and you know we know our data sets really really well. And, and communicating back and forth, um, you know, it 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 takes it takes some some intention about doing that because uh, it often won't just happen naturally. Um, so that's a um, yeah, that's what I see as a differentiator. It's a slight curveball, um, but I am interested uh, in general in the cultural differences mm. between tech companies and finance companies, mm. and the fact that alternative data often throws the two together. Hmm. Um, and so presumably your team is a, is, is, is a group of tech geeks who would traditionally yes. be, you know, <laughs> driving scooters around Silicon Valley. Um, and they're, they've been deposited in a universe of, of finance guys. Um, is there, does that, does that work? Are there any, any cultural challenges there or is it all just pretty seamless? Uh, I would say it, it definitely works in the sense that, you know, we all learn from each other. I, I think you're right. You know, I think our team definitely, definitely has that, that, that tech culture about it. Um, especially in terms of how much we like exploring new technologies and even new data sources. So, but I think that was a, a bit intentional. You know, we, I, I think that Truist was, was very smart. They, they wanted to get this, this kind of team of misfits in here a little bit um, to, to start bringing just a different perspective to things. And then from our perspective, so it, is, it is the A team, like I said, oh, the, <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> okay. I don't know how many of us are on the run from the law. Hopefully no more than one. Uh, <laughs> you can only speak for myself. Um, yeah. It's, and, but, but then from, but then we get to learn also, you know, and, and that's something that, that becomes quite unique um, because there's some things that are really hard to, to learn from a book. Uh, you need to talk to the experts to really, to really learn this stuff. Uh, so that's what we're getting to do by, by talking to these fundamental analysts. Um, but you, you put your finger on a really interesting idea, this idea of culture. Um, and I, I really, I give a lot of respect to, to, to the bank and, and our leadership who, who conceived of this idea of having a data science team kind of spring forth inside of equity research um, because 
because it's, um, you know, like you said, it's a little bit different to, to have that happen. And it's, it's worked out really well so far for all of us. And, um, you know, we, we kind of push things forward sometimes. Um, and, and we say, you know, hey, we should be looking at these different sources of data or we should be thinking about different technologies. Um, but everyone's very receptive to, to kind of learning about it. So it, it's, it's been good so far, I would say. Um, mm. but I think you asked, I mean, it's a great question. It's a great thing to think about for anyone out there who's starting about you know, thinking about starting a data science team in a large institution of just how it's going to look and feel a little different from, from probably the other teams that are, that are, that are already yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, I want to, I just want to bring it back a mm -hmm. little bit to the alternative data itself. You've talked about, um, alternative data vendor space mm -hmm. being um, being uh, table stakes at this point. Um, there's obviously a million types of alternative data vendor and, and different types mm. of alternative data out there. Is there anything which you see when you make that statement? Is there, any, is there a particular kind that you're seeing as table stakes? Are you talking about the credit card transaction data or are you talking about various ones? <laughs> and secondly... Um, where do you put yourself in that in the universe of buyers? Like, do you are you going up against the hedge funds in terms of buying all the all the kind of sexiest stuff, or are you looking for bargains? How are you? How are you? Um, who 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 might be um, trying to sell to you? Yeah. So, I mean, just to take the you know, we we definitely are in terms of who's trying to kind of sell to us and what we look at. You know, we'll we look at a lot of different alternative data vendors. Because uh, we're we're always trying to learn, and just just know what's out there. Um, so I think in terms of what we're looking at, we're we're probably on par with some of the hedge funds. Uh, I would say we we probably are a little more conservative in in what we're bringing on board at the moment, just because we're a we're a pretty small team, and yeah. we don't want to just we don't just want to load up with with a bunch of things that we don't have time. Uh, to get to and integrate properly, um, it seems it seems that we're bringing on you know one or two new vendors uh, a year, I guess I would say. So maybe one one a quarter, one every two quarters, um, which I I think is a pretty a pretty good I don't know rate of addition um, to our to our stack and, and to our data sources. That's that's not by design. That just seems to be the flow of how long it takes us. To evaluate a, a vendor, um, you know, really see if it's something we want to do, see if it if it touches enough pieces of our workflow. Uh, but we, yeah, we are definitely we we are out there looking for good sources of data. Um, and then in terms of, I mean, just the general buckets. I mean, I I think you know everyone kind of needs a good not needs, but there's there's a lot of really interesting NLP work being done. Um, just on in terms in terms of like transcripts and news releases, um, government filings, you know that, that that's an area that 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 we definitely have taken a bit uh, have, have brought on a vendor. Um, it, I just don't know how you keep up with. I don't know how you keep up with all the the various possibilities of of scraping text and analyzing it without bringing on a vendor, unless you have a whole team that's dedicated to it. And there are whole companies dedicated to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, beyond that, you know, I think if there's one area of that kind of text analysis, 
I would say things like web traffic and app usage, um, those are areas we're very interested in. Um, like, like I said, we already have a vendor in that area. And it, it just seems to be, again, an area that's so big and so broad uh, that it's hard to, it would be hard to, to keep track of it without that. Um, and, and then, I mean, I, another reason we probably aren't as, maybe aren't as aggressive as other places in buying vendor data is we, we do spend a lot of our time and energy on more internally sourced stuff. But that's, that's kind of getting to a point of maturity right now. Um, so I would imagine what we will, what we will really start doing is evaluating, evaluating potentially new vendors in terms of, well, how does this fit together with our proprietary stuff? Does it fit together? Can we, can we put them together to make something uh, unique? Um, that, that, that's, that will be a lens that we're looking, looking at going forward. Which might mean if you are uh, historically the, the kind of regional powerhouse in the Southeast, and that's where the strength in your proprietary data is, if somebody has a good data set, which particularly covers the Southeast, then they mm. should maybe be on the phone to you. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, yes, definitely. Um, but then also more, more broadly, you know, if, if we can, you know, data sets that would, that will let us do a little more extrapolation from our kind of Southeastern focus data out to, to, to the whole nation. Um, yeah, that that would also be be valuable to us. So, I mean, so either 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 other lenses on the southeast or what you do, but for other other markets in the kind of west and 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 whatever. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Because uh, we're always trying to you know we're always trying to think think more broadly, think more generally about how this data applies. But I mean, I think the the simple answer to your question would would be we are always on the lookout for new sources of data. Always, um, and we try to be very open-minded about that. Um, it, we move, we probably move a little bit slower than than maybe smaller shops or maybe even a hedge fund. Um, although they, I think they have a pretty rigorous, you know, data onboarding process. Um, but you know, we just we just kind of put things through um, through our process, and and we just onboard things a little bit more slowly because that's we're we're pretty purposeful about how we do it, but. We are always open to learning more about alternative data. Um, Brilliant. Well, Jonathan, I think that has been a wonderful uh, run through. I think, as I said, I think Truist and the and the sell side is uh, a, an underappreciated, particularly on this podcast, but uh, it's been an underappreciated aspect of the alternative data world, and um, and I'm always fascinated in it. So, so thank you so much for coming in and introducing it. And um, and obviously, it's 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 relatively early days for you, and you've got an awful lot, awful lot of growing to do, which is which is going to be very exciting. So, um, so thank. Thanks very much for coming and, and best of luck with the future. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. This was uh, this was a fantastic discussion. I, I hope we can do it again in the future sometime, but re really appreciate it. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. When, you're, when, you, when your team is 50 to 100, um, then uh, you'll be back. Awesome. <laughs> <It's a deal>. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Mark.